covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us as it is our uh, Memorial Day weekend edition of the program. If you're listening to this uh, on Monday or before the weekend comes to an end, hopefully you are able to uh, enjoy yourself over uh, some extended time off if you are one of those folks that uh, do indeed have Memorial Day off. We got a lot to get to here on the program today. Uh, This week was an interesting week for the Brewers. But as Memorial Day action begins, and even as it uh, even as it comes to an end, no matter what happens, uh, the Brewers are the first place team in the National League Central, and that's kind of one of our themes of the program this week because Memorial Day is a mile marker point of the season. There are multiple mile marker points as you go through the year, and Memorial Day absolutely is one of them. And on Memorial Day, the Brewers are the first place team in the National League Central. Very. Very few people, if any, expected that to be the case. And they deserve a lot of credit for it. They deserve credit this past week that they fell out of first place and then they were able to win a couple games to wrap up that series against the Diamondbacks and they come back and move into first place. So we'll get more into that as we uh, continue on the program. We're going to be joined this week uh, on our social media conversation with uh, by Kyle Loebner. Uh, you uh, read him uh, on Twitter with the uh, Daily Frosty mug and uh, you You've got the um, you've got uh, you see all of his uh, stuff that he writes at the Timber Rattlers website. We'll get into a number of things uh, with Kyle coming up here in just a few minutes. And in our down on the farm segment this week, actually going to do something different. We've never done this before here on the podcast, but I thought this week uh, merited it because the the Brewers this past week move up a couple of their top prospects to the next level. Corbin Burns gets to double-A and Trey Supak gets to high-A. This is the first major promotion of high-level prospects that the Brewers have made so far this season. So as opposed to focusing in on one team like we do so often with one of the team broadcasters or uh, when we talk to uh, somebody who really takes a look at the minor league system instead of kind of taking a step back and taking a very broad look, we're going to focus in on those two players and uh, uh, them getting promoted. Also going to get into uh, the international signing of Ernesto Martinez Jr. Uh, as that was announced this past week as well. A 17-year-old who definitely has a high ceiling and it could be exciting to see what might happen with him. I want to start off the program though talking about something that uh, as we record this on Sunday night, it's a few days in the rearview mirror, but it's still something that continues to bug me. And if you uh, if you listen at all on 620 WTMJ, maybe you hear me uh, hosting the, the Brewers Extra Innings postgame show after uh, most games on the station or Wisconsin Sports Weekend, whatever it might be. If you've heard me over the weekend since Friday night, you've probably heard me mention this. But I want to mention it again because I'm still, I'm still perturbed. And not because it hurt the Brewers, but because I don't like the system. And that's our the, the current replay system in Major League Baseball. And what really brought this to light was the call on Friday night where a ball gets away from the catcher, Eric Thames breaks from third, uh, he slides in, and the initial call is out. They then go to the video, and they, they say there was not enough evidence to overturn the call and that he remained out. 
look, I've had a lot of people disagree with what I'm about to say, and that's fine. I, I like it when people disagree with me. It creates a good conversation. So um, I, I'm not somebody who generally – I'm not sitting here, you know, seeing something not the way it is because I'm rooting for the Brewers. Like That's, that's not the way I go about things. I think I look at things pretty much down the middle. Uh, but there's there's people who I respect. There's people who I think are the exact same way, who saw the exact same thing I did and feel differently. So may, maybe I'm in the wrong on this. But to me, the video evidence was compelling enough to reverse that call. There was a there was an angle from the center field camera that clearly showed to me it was close. It was a bang bang play, but it clearly showed to me that Thames was able to get his hand on home plate before the tag was applied. The tag was actually kind of underneath the body of Thames, and what that ended up doing was the overhead camera, you couldn't tell when the tag was actually applied because you didn't have that depth, but when you saw it from the center field camera, you could see that the glove was underneath the body of Thames, and it eventually came up and touched him, but to me it touched him clearly, after he had touched home plate. The Major League Baseball video replay system is so frustrating. So frustrating. Because there doesn't seem to be any consistency with it. I feel like calls and plays are missed a lot. And they shouldn't be. And I don't understand why they're being missed so often. If you don't know the way the system works, there's a replay center in New York, and the umpires who are making the decision are umpires that are in New York for that series. So they're they're actual umpiring crews that are assigned to New York. So, for example, there might be a crew that's in Milwaukee one night, the series ends, they travel the next day, they go to New York, and their next cycle is in New York at the replay center, and they're sitting there. So it's active, real umpires that are watching these replays. But there was even a play on Thursday night where Keon Broxton appeared to be safe at second uh, when he was picked off of first. The throw went to first. He took off and uh, thought it, thought he beat the throw. And In fact, there was visual evidence that made it look like the tag was applied after he had already touched second base and was starting to pop up. I thought that one was a little bit closer. I wasn't really upset about that not being reversed because I thought it was even more bang-bang and there wasn't. I didn't think it was quite as clear. But the visual evidence definitely made you feel like in all likelihood he was safe. And same thing with Eric Thames a day later. And I say all that to say this. Major League Baseball just needs to get it right, and they need to do it better. And I, I, don't, I don't come with really solutions. The only thing I think, and really it shouldn't matter if you're watching the video in New York or if you're watching the video at the, at the team site, but the one, the one idea that I would throw out there that maybe could improve things a little bit is all of a sudden turn umpiring crews into five-man crews, and the fifth man on the crew is in a room somewhere in the stadium in a replay center, and he's the one who makes the call. So at least he's in the building, and you, know, you rotate through. So you know, it's a, one of the umpires on the crew is always in there, and you know, it actually could give him kind of a after spending the night behind home plate, if the next assignment is to go into the video room, that might actually be good for the umpires because uh, being the, the home plate umpire is the most grueling position, so it gives you a chance to get a little bit of a break before you uh, before you get back on the field. I 
in in theory, that shouldn't change anything because, again, in theory, it shouldn't matter if you're watching the replay in New York or if you're watching it in Milwaukee. But that'd be the only idea I'd throw out there. More than anything else, I just I, I implore Major League Baseball to figure out a way to get it right because too many calls are being missed right now with this replay system. And it's almost better to me, and people balk at this when I say it, it's almost better not to have replay at all than for it to be as inconsistent as it's been. Either get it right or don't have it. It's not fair to any team that sometimes they overturn a call and sometimes they don't, and they can sit there behind the mask of you know not enough visual evidence. Well, to me, there was enough visual evidence on that Thames play. All right, that's my uh, that's my diatribe for the week. Again, we got a lot coming up on the program today. We'll be joined uh, by Kyle Loebner coming up in just a few moments. Uh, we'll also have uh, Brad Ford later on as we really uh, unpack the moves that were made throughout the minor league system this past week. But before we get any of that underway, let's first get to our headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. It was certainly an interesting week for the Brewers. Uh, They spent essentially the entire week in first place. They do go on a five-game losing streak. And when they go on the five-game losing streak, they fall a half game back out of first place. But to their credit... They get back winning. They win the final two games of the Diamondback Series. And uh, the Cubs uh, got swept in Los Angeles by the Dodgers. So the Brewers jump back into first place. They lead the Cubs and Cardinals by a game and a half. And, you know, more than anything, I think the notable thing here is there's a lot of people, and and rightfully so, that kind of felt like when the team was on the five-game losing streak that maybe the team was coming back to earth. Maybe they were becoming the team that everybody thought they would be when the season got started, or virtually everybody thought they would be. Uh, give them credit. They come back, they get two big wins uh, against the Diamondbacks, and now they get to go to New York and take on a Mets team that they played very well against uh, when the Mets were in Milwaukee just a few weeks ago. So an opportunity for the Brewers to continue to be the top team in the National League Central. Great starting pitching is certainly a headline of the week. It uh, well, you know, Really, Junior Guerra returns from the disabled list, and he was very good in his first start. Uh, the day before Guerra, Zach Davies, he wasn't fantastic, he wasn't great, but he put in a quality start. But then you look at what happened on Saturday and Sunday, and you want to talk about spectacular. It, without a doubt, was spectacular. As Chase Anderson on Saturday takes a no-hitter into the eighth inning before finally uh, giving up a hit. He ends up going seven innings, allowing just one hit with 11 strikeouts and three walks. A day later, Jimmy Nelson takes the mound, and Nelson goes seven innings. He gives up just one run on seven hits with 10 strikeouts. Amazingly, and this is this one of the best stats of the year for the Brewers. This is uh, Listen to this, because this is somewhat eye-opening. I was surprised when I heard this. Those two guys... Anderson and Nelson, with their performances, it is the first time in Brewers franchise history that starting pitchers go at least seven innings, strike out ten or more batters, and allow one run or fewer in back-to-back games. That has never happened in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers, and it happens over the weekend with Chase Anderson and Jimmy Nelson. Ryan Braun is back on the disabled list. He uh, It's his second stint on the DL in uh, just a little bit of time. He was only back for a day or two before he went back on. He's dealing with a calf strain. 
you get the sense that the team hurried him off the DL the first time, and they are not going to make that mistake this time. Uh, the official word from Brewer's staff was that it was going to be somewhere between 10 days and a month and that they would have more of an idea of how it's healing as uh, as the rehab continues. I say this without a medical degree and with no inside information, but I just I get the sense that he might be out for a while. It, it might be closer to that month than 10 days. And while that is certainly not a preferable situation, I would much rather see them get him healthy, get him off to the side, and let him get all the way healthy so he can come back and produce. You know, last year, people people are somewhat critical of Ryan Braun and what he did last year only because of the number of games that he played in. He got a lot of what they termed as maintenance days off. But let's let's ignore the number of games he played last year and just look at the raw numbers. He hit 30 home runs with 91 RBIs. That's a that's a that's a really good year. And yeah, he did it in 135 games instead of 155 games. But he still had 30 home runs. He still had 91 RBIs. He was still a major contributor. And I just have to wonder if maybe with Braun moving forward, even though he's not coming off a year where he just had back surgery, and that's why, I mean, if you listen to me last year, when people were critical of him playing in only 135 games on the days off, I continually over and over and over said, look, he just had back surgery. And you're not, you, you got to be careful with it. Well, maybe a year later, it's not so much the back surgery. Maybe it's just as an older player, you got to give him some extra days off. And you know what? If he gives you 30 home runs and 91 RBIs, I don't care how many games he plays in because he has contributed a lot to what uh, to what you want to do. And then the final headline of the week, uh, Eric Thames got the day off on Sunday in the series finale. And he he's been dealing with stuff. He had the strep throat when, and, and that knocked him out for a few days. His body type, it's just tough because uh, he's, a, he's a rock and there's a lot of muscle in there and it, it tends to tighten up. I feel like, I, I say this over and over and I'll continue to say it, I feel like he ages 40 years during the course of a game. When you see how he's moving around in the first inning and see how he's moving around in the seventh inning, it looks completely different. And in Korea... They didn't play as many games in a row. Uh, the travel was a little bit less. There was a lot of things that t- didn't, you didn't quite have the wear and tear on your body that you have in Major League Baseball. And that's another thing that the Brewers are really going to have to manage going forward. Because as we come up on the end of the month of May, you know, through Sunday's game in the month of May, it hasn't been good for Eric Thames. He's a 194 hitter with two home runs and seven RBIs. He has 20 strikeouts and 67 at-bats. That's compared to April where he hit 345 with 11 home runs, 19 RBIs, and 23 strikeouts and 84 at-bats. So all the numbers have taken a step down. He slugged 810 in April. He's slugging 310 in May. Uh, his on-base in, in April was 466. His on-base in May is 333. Look, he wasn't going to keep up the, the pace that he was on in the month of May, and I'm not expecting that of him. But there there was a belief that he could uh, nobody thought he was a 194 hitter that's for sure and he's not a 194 hitter he's better than that 
How much better than that, we really don't know. We're still trying to figure out who in the world Eric Thames is as a ball player. But they got to get him healthy as well. The fact that Jesus Aguilar is swinging it as well as he is, that gives the Brewers an opportunity to maybe get Thames sitting down for a few days. And we'll see what they do with him. But I don't get the sense that he's healthy, and I don't get the sense that he's going to be able to start producing at a high level again until he gets healthy. Those are uh, this week's headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, continues on, and we're very happy to welcome back onto the program uh, Kyle Loebner. You can find him a lot of places if you follow him on Twitter at Brew Frosty Mug. He has the uh, Frosty Mug where he puts out a, a number of links on an everyday basis. Uh, he is uh, at the Timber Rattlers uh, website. He's uh, doing podcasts with Chris Marion of the Timber Rattlers. You might read him in uh, the Shepherd Express. He's all over. If you're a Seinfeld fan, Kramer might say he's prolific. He is Kyle Loebner. He joins us right now. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing even better after that introduction. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> you bet. Uh, all right, so mile marker point of the season. It's uh, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. The team is sitting in first place. What's uh, What would have you said if somebody would have said to you before the season got started uh, that this would be a first-place Brewers team on Memorial Day? I would not have believed it. Uh, I, and I think, you know, for all of us, uh, it's probably a good thing that people aren't going back and replaying the things we talked about in March, uh, given it in light of you know the, the things that we're talking about now. Uh, this is a Brewer team that has had a whole bunch of opportunities to kind of fall apart. The expectations were low coming in, um, even this week. You know, you look at a long losing streak this week. I was at Thursday night's game when they managed just three hits against Robbie Ray and company. And you look at that team and you think, okay, this is the team that's coming back to earth. And all they did was respond by taking two in a row against the Diamondbacks to get a split to beat Zach Brinke on Saturday, uh, which is a thing I'm not sure anybody expected. Uh, you know, at every turn of the road, this is a Brewer team that kind of has an opportunity to fall off and drop back to, I think, what people expected them to be. And they just keep, you know, staying afloat. They keep treading water. And they're back in first place today. And so I think, you know, a ton of credit due to everybody involved that's gotten them to this point. It's interesting because, I mean, there's so many red flags, whether it's the starting pitching, the bullpen. I mean, you've got a lineup up and down that it's a bunch of guys with either one year worth of track record or no track record at all, except for Ryan Braun, who's banged up and on the disabled list right now. I think it's legitimate to wonder when they might come back to where people expected them to be. But in the same sense, there, there's a lot of guys really believing. I don't know even know what I'm trying to ask you right now, but it's just more than anything else, it's a it's a lot of fun to watch a bunch of unknown guys with, with zero expectations placed upon them keep answering the bell like you allude to. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't think anybody really expects Eric Sogard to keep hitting 420. Uh, through a full major league season, a guy who was available as a minor league free agent this winter, a guy who didn't play in the big leagues last year. I don't know, you know, you're looking at a collection of guys in Hernan Perez and Jesus Aguilar that were waiver claims, you know, guys, Eric Thames coming over from back from overseas. This is not a group of guys that I think people should have had high expectations for. Um, but the one thing they're doing, you know, really well as a team, and I, I think there's a lot of value in this, is that there's a lot of guys in this roster who individually um, can be the reason you win on a, a given basis. It's not, you know, 
six innings or seven innings of waiting for Ryan Braun to come up to see if he hits a home run so you can stay in the game. And I think we saw it today. We've seen a, a lot of up and downs already this year from Domingo Santana, uh, who comes out and has a huge day today, hits a grand slam, um, puts the team in position to win. And, and so, you know, the, the teams that have this level of depth, that every day there can be a new hero, um, they are the teams that frequently you get an opportunity to win with. And I think when you start to get that, it does start to snowball a little bit. When these guys know that it doesn't need to be all the pressure on them any given day, um, that they can come out and contribute, um, but that the teammates around them will contribute as well. And so all they really need to do to contribute is keep the line moving. I get phone calls literally every single day on the post-game show that we do uh, after the games on WTMJ. Uh, the two things I hear from people all the time is either call up one of the prospects, so you're talking namely Lewis Brinson, but sometimes the Brett sure. Phillips' name gets thrown in there or somebody else. And then the other thing is, hey, this team can contend this year. They need to go trade, and they need to go get some top-line pitching. And my stance has always been, A, they're not going to call up any of those guys until the Super 2 date passes, which is very close to where we're at right now. I don't know the exact date, but we're very close to that. But then, B, they're not going to mortgage the future at all at all at all to go you know get a rent a player for for this year do you disagree with my stances at all well i think we're very close to that super q date so i I think you know if the brewers are holding off on calling some of these guys up uh, just because they're waiting for that to pass then really you know any day now uh, could be pretty much it you know, I think when you look back, we just had the 10-year anniversary this week of Ryan Braun's big league debut, and Ryan Braun was called up when he was for about the same situation, to, to try to delay his service clock just enough uh, to avoid him getting an extra year of arbitration. And so, you know, if the Brewers thought that Lewis Brinson could help this roster on a day-in, day-out basis, I think we could see him, you know, maybe as soon as this week. I don't know if they feel like um, he is a necessity for this roster at this point. And I don't know, you know, it seems like they kind of like the, the groups they've got. Certainly if they're going to be comfortable playing Eric Thames out in left field on a relatively regular basis, then the outfield is relatively full, while, even while Ryan Braun is out. So it, it's going to be you know, interesting to see how the Brewers handle Brinson, who is raking, but has still played you know, really what amounts to about three months in AAA at this point. Um, and then looking at the, the trade window, there's a couple of interesting factors in play here that I think lead me to believe the Brewers could buy, you know, not on a huge scale, um, but maybe kind of tinker around the edges with this team. Uh, one is that this is a Brewer team that really is not spending very much on players this season. There is a lot of payroll flexibility here. And with this team performing better than expected, I think you have to believe this is probably a team that's ahead of where they expected to be on ticket sales. So if they get an opportunity at some point um, to absorb a bad contract situation from another team, you know, if they get an opportunity, you know, let me throw out an example, and I'm not saying the Brewers would do this specifically, but Jose Bautista um, just signed a contract with the Blue Jays that really isn't working out for a team that is kind of getting to the wrong point um, in that's starting to teeter on the edge of needing to rebuild themselves with a roster that's older and a lot of guys who are pending free agents. If the Brewers were willing to take some of the money in that contract, a guy like that might be available. Um, And so as you look around baseball, there might be guys this team could pick up uh, for a relatively low prospect haul. And the second thing you have to keep in mind, while I would be very surprised to see the Brewers trade a guy like Chris Brinson or Josh Hader or some of the guys that project to be a part of this team soon, but when you look up and down the system, there is some redundancy. Um, There are an awful lot of center field types. 
in this organization and guys who realistically probably only maximize their value if they play center field. There are also a lot of middle infielders. And so if you get an opportunity to deal, you know, someone in the range of like a Trent Clark, um, you know, who might be fifth on the organizational depth chart in center field right now, but was a former first-round pick, if you get the opportunity to deal him and make some impact, um, either in your bullpen or maybe at the back of your starting rotation, I think you do consider it. Now, I'd, I'd be shocked if they blow up the farm system because I think the farm system is what they're depending on to make this more than a one-year splash for this team. Another guy that I think could be interesting on the mark would be you know, Michael Reed. Here's a guy who's gotten big league call-ups each of the last two years. He's still considered a top-30 prospect. There's no room for him at AAA. If you trade him, you're almost doing him a favor because he's blocked in Milwaukee, and I would still think he would have some value. So I, I agree with what you're saying. They're not going to trade any of those top-level prospects, but there's certainly some guys you know, in that lower third maybe of the top 30 that, that they could get something for. And I think one of the things that, you know, we don't talk about enough probably, when you look at the, the Astros, when they made the Mike Fires carlos Gomez trade and they unloaded a whole bunch of prospects, they were in a situation not that different from where the Brewers are right now in that they were starting to run up against um, challenges with their 40-man roster. Um, they were starting to run up to the point where if they had kept a whole bunch of prospects after the season, they would have had to leave some unprotected for the Rule 5 draft. Uh, they're just with so much talent in that organization because they had been a top-ranked farm system and a lot of their guys were at the upper levels. And so for the Brewers, I think you have to consider some of that as well. That if, even if they were to you know, stay with the rebuild, um, decide they don't want to tinker around the edges at all, um, they would be in a situation where some of these guys might get lost anyway. Yeah, no, that's, um, a, that, that's a great as, point. As you look at organizational depth, there becomes a point where you just can't keep it all. Um, and so if you get an opportunity to get something for some of these guys that you feel like might be more valuable to an organization than they are to yours, I think you have to consider it. Yeah, and let me just pause for a second for our listeners who maybe don't completely understand the idea of what you're saying. Basically, it, it, it's more complex than this, but basically you have a finite amount of time where you can have a player in the minor leagues without placing them on the 40-man roster. And once you get past that time, they essentially become a available to other teams to pick up so you could have these prospects who there's no room on the 40-man roster for that they basically time out and you could just lose them for nothing so the point is if you trade them and maybe get some either if you either trade them for some major league talent or if you trade them and get some lower level minor league talent where you kind of reset it would reset the clock so Kyle not to repeat what you just said but just it's a it's a great point that you're right that very few people are talking about and I, I think it should be understood uh, by by the folks who are listening. Yeah, I think you know it, it's one of those things. It's a great problem to have. Um, this is a Brewer team that you know, and, and you talked about a guy like Michael Reed. You know, this it's it's not great for him individually, certainly, but the fact that the Brewers have more guys than they have spots for um, that creates a level of competition that will only help this organization in the long term. But it does create some fresh challenges, um, and that that could be one of them if the Brewers do decide not to make any moves with guys this summer. Let's uh let's talk about Ryan Braun for a moment because it's been an interesting last month for him. 
he essentially played one or two games over over the month of May. Went on the disabled list once. Came off real uh, came off a little earlier than I was I was expecting. It was that Sunday in Chicago that was followed by an off day, and I really thought they would at least leave him on the DL through that Sunday to buy two days of extra time. He comes back. He hurts the calf again. He, he's back on. Uh, there's a lot of guys who go on the DL. Braun was pretty healthy last year, but he's he's on the DL this year. There's certainly a a vocal group of Brewers fans that anything going on with Ryan Braun, they're just unhappy about it. What's your takeaway on this current injury and, and really the current status of Braun going forward? You know, I was a little bit curious when the Brewers decided to activate Braun right away without sending him on a minor league rehab assignment. Um, I thought it would have been nice to give him an opportunity to get back into a rhythm at the plate, to play you know, a couple innings here and there and just kind of test things out and see how things work. Um, and we saw this happen a year ago with Domingo Santana. Um, the, the team thought he was healthy enough to come back. Um, he came up here to Appleton, to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and I interviewed him after a game. And when you interview guys after rehab assignments, you kind of ask the same handful of questions every day, like, how are you feeling? Do you think you're ready to go back? Um, and Domingo Santana was the first guy I've ever had turn to me and say, no, I don't think I'm all right. Huh. Um, you know, and, and I think you, know, you get that opportunity with the rehab assignments in a very low-pressure environment and a very controlled environment to evaluate a situation. And I think when you look at what happened with Braun, where he was back for about a day and a half before he needed to go back on the DL, I think you can make a case that maybe that evaluation time would have been useful um, in the minors, even if it wasn't necessary to get him back into a rhythm at the plate although he did also go for at the plate when he came back. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit... Uh, the Brewers have had a collection of kind of curious rostering decisions with them on over the years. Times when they've kind of let nagging things linger for a long time before they were willing to put him on the DL. Um, now a time when they probably activated him before it was prudent to do so. And so you have to hope that over time they learn from that, um, that over time they, they take the opportunity to make sure Brunt's healthy, um, and to build a roster, I mean, I, I think we're seeing a perfect reason right now for why you keep a guy like Jesus Aguilar around for a month and a half, even when you don't particularly need him day to day. Because right now, he could actually be a very big part of what this Brewer team is trying to do until the point comes when Ryan Braun is healthy again. You mentioned Jesus Aguilar. He's uh, he's getting a little bit more time at first base. They are putting uh, Thames in the outfield a bit, but they're being careful with him as he continues to have uh, a very tight lower body. I, I've said this a number of times. I think it looks like he ages 40 years during the course of a ball game when you look at the way he moves in the first inning and the way he moves uh, in the seventh inning. But if you go, if you break down his numbers and do the, do the splits between what he was doing in the month of April and then what he's doing uh, in the month of May, May. In the month of May, he is hitting 194 with two home runs and seven RBIs after he had a 345 April. Uh, he's been a little bit hurt. He had the strep throat. Like, there's a lot of reasons for this, but are, are you at all concerned about Thames and his ability to, uh, to bounce back after he's had a really tough May? Yeah, I, I think you know, you're going to see, and, and you're already starting to see, the Brewers try to be a little more careful in terms of how they use him. Uh, certainly playing him every day in left field um, probably is not going to work out, um, given what we've seen about, you know, kind of the, the struggles that he has had remaining healthy and the struggles he has had to remain productive. And I think you're seeing, you know, a little bit at the plate, um, certainly as time goes by, um, as pitchers develop a book on him, you know, realistically, over in Korea, he did not face anything resembling Major League pitching uh, for several years. 
And so I think you're going to see, you know, guys who are better than he's ever seen or he's seen in quite some time, and you're going to see them make adjustments to the, the skill set that he has shown. Now, hopefully he has the opportunity to adjust back. He is certainly plenty strong to crush mistakes. Um, you know, his, his strike zone is pretty good. His judgment is pretty good, and you would hope that that's a thing that will, you know, continue to carry him a bit, even during the times when he is not feeling the greatest or when he is struggling. But I think the Brewers are going to have a tough challenge with him. You know, the first week of the year, we saw them sit him a couple days. Um, and, and I think, you know, at, at the time the question was whether or not it's a platoon, but I think that the question should have been, is this a Brewer team that is better off playing Eric Thames 120 games than trying to play him 160 just because of the wear and tear it's going to take on his body? Now, he's been in there most days since then, with the exception of when he had strep. But I think getting him some rest probably would be a good thing for everybody. It's just the timing is a bit unfortunate when you look at the situation with Ryan Braun also being on. It's it's interesting though you talk about uh, playing him a little bit less because you know Braun was very productive for the Brewers last year playing in a limited amount of games, and then he begins this year playing essentially every day, and he was doing fine for a while, but he gets banged up. Uh, there, uh, you know, there in baseball, I think from a fan perspective, people feel like if you're not able to play 150 games games a year you're hurting the team but if, if the numbers stand up if you go out there like Braun did last year where you hit you know 30 home runs and hit close to 300 and drive in 100 runs does it really matter if you do that in 130 games or 150 games you know I, I think some of the teams across baseball this might be one of the next um, real statistical buoy frontiers for teams I think you're going to see teams start to realize and I think you're seeing it right now in another sport in the NBA uh, you are seeing that when you rest guys um, and you get them to bounce back, that 130 games where they are fantastic, obviously they don't play 130 in the NBA, this is back to baseball, but if those 130 games where a guy hits really well are more valuable than 150 where he kind of drags it out, um, and, and you know where you see the, the effects of the day game after the night game, where you see the effects of the travel start to come into play, and where you see these guys just start to look tired over the course of a full season. And so I think you know it, it's going to be tough because you know in the press box with the Timber Rattlers all the time I hear old baseball men come in and gripe about you know how guys can't stay out of the training room or guys can't play 162 games anymore. Well, I think eventually you're going to see some forward-thinking front offices realize that their teams might be better off if these guys don't. Yeah, um, that they might be better off if you can see them at full speed 120 times and full production, and then it puts a little more emphasis on having the depth to be able to compete without them on those other days. And so I think that the team that embraces that, the team that is willing to look past the way things have always been, um, might find a very real benefit from that um, and an opportunity to get more out of their stars and also you know, have a bench of guys that can step in when needed. All right, last couple things for uh, Kyle Loebner. I want to go into some of the stuff you've written somewhat recently uh, over at the Timber Rattlers uh, website with your frosty microbrews. Uh, we'll start with, uh, your I believe it's your most recent piece where you uh, talked about what starting pitchers do between their starts, and uh, you you focus in on a, on a few guys on a, on a single day going out to the bullpen between starts. Uh, can you tell me uh, kind of about this piece and maybe what uh, opened your eyes? I, I think a lot of people realize their sides sessions and guys are working uh, between starts, but uh, what was especially notable as you put this together? Well, I think, you know, one of the fun things with my work with the Timber Rattlers, um, working with the team, I have access to a lot of stuff that I've never had access to before, um, and that I think a lot of folks across baseball just haven't seen firsthand. Like, for example, 
Um, I watched Trey Supak, who is a, a Brewers pitching prospect, who is having a great first half for the Timber Rattlers. Um, I watched his bullpen for about three feet behind the catcher uh, the other day, and so you really get an opportunity there to to really see uh, what that pitching looks like at that level at full speed, and I would have 0% chance of making contact with it. <laughs> uh, and so you know, it's cool to get a chance to see that, but then also just to look at how the, the situation has changed over the years for these guys. Um, you know, what, what these bullpen sessions used to look like, um, how much more guys used to throw uh, between outings. You know, I talked to Steve Klein, the Timber Rattlers pitching coach, who's been a pitching coach now in professional baseball since the early 80s, um, about how guys used to throw two bullpen sessions and live batting practice between starts. Um, and so there's a lot more work that goes in now into keeping these guys healthier. Um, and I, because of that, you see a much lower level of burnout, and you see guys able to throw much harder. Um, and, and so, you know, kind of the process and how it's changed was really the, the impetus for the story for me. And I was really fortunate, you know, to have a guy like Trey Supak here in Appleton to, to write about. I think he's probably getting ready to make the move up to the high A level. Um, he has had a, a really fantastic start to the first half of the season. And then the other, another piece you did recently, you focused in on uh, on catcher Mario Feliciano. Every whether it's Chris Marion, whether it's any of the prospect folks, no matter who I talk to, I always hear basically this exact same sentence: "You watch Feliciano, and you would never know that he's 18." Uh, that's that's the that is the common theme. You know, he plays beyond his age, and uh, and your piece was. Uh, somewhat age related as you got as you delved a little deeper in with him what is it about him that makes him you know wise and mature especially from a physical baseball standpoint uh, beyond his years well I think there's a the, the physically you would not notice that Mario Feliciano is a, a guy who's much younger than most of Midwest League catchers and one of the things I mentioned in the piece, you know, Mario is 18 years old. He will be 18 all the way through the end of this season. Um, he is one of just two catchers in the Midwest League that are under 20 years old. Hmm. He's almost two full years under. Um, and there's 16 teams in the Midwest League. So, you know, when, when you look at how much younger he is than everybody else, it is really astonishing what he has been able to accomplish. And I think when you, when you look back to, to late March and early April, when he got the assignment to Appleton, um, the conversation around him on Media Day in the first week of the year was, you know, this is a guy who has a chance to be a star someday. I just hope people are patient with him. You know, he's an 18-year-old catcher in a full-season professional league for the first time. He's a guy who was just drafted a year ago. It's going to be a long year for him. Well, Mario came out and really did not require any need to be patient. He hit the cover off the ball right away. Um, he had some really big hits for this team. He had a long hitting streak. Um, and so, you know, when you put all those things together, right, you have to remind yourself every now and then that there's going to be some growing pains with this guy who's 18 years old because we just haven't seen it to this point. Um, and, and so his ability to, you know, kind of absorb everything that's going on around him, um, he really hasn't been catching that long um, on top of being very young. And so his ability to pick up a new thing really quickly is a skill that you just don't expect from a guy who's that young. Um, and he is learning every day. He's catching guys' bullpen sessions. He's picking on things like pitch sequencing. You know, th there's a lot that goes into being a catcher, um, and it is very rare to see somebody who picks it up as quickly as he has. And so, you know, you hope for the Timber Rattlers that he has an opportunity to keep this up. Um, you hope that 
over the course of a long season, he gets sufficient rest, and you know he's able to to kind of avoid some of the bumps and bruises that kind of come with being a catcher in your first professional season. But the start that he's off to right now is really special. Um, he is a guy that, you know, a couple months ago we were kind of expecting this Timber Rattlers team to have to work around a bit, and instead he has really become one of the cornerstones of this team. People should check him out uh, once he's done in Appleton, and not that he's going to be done anytime soon, but when he's done in Appleton, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a further drive to see him as he continues to make his way up through the system. So uh, check him out sooner than later. We've been talking with uh, Kyle Loebner again. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter, at BrewFrostyMug. Uh, great selection of uh, links are, are put out uh, every morning uh, with the uh, with the Daily Frosty Mug. You can read them over at the Timber Rattlers website. You can read them uh, at the, with the Shepherd Express on occasion as well. Kyle, always appreciate the time, especially on a holiday weekend. Very gracious of you to give up so much of your time uh, on a holiday weekend. We will uh, catch up again very soon. My pleasure, Matt. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. It is time to go down on the farm as Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. And we're doing something a little bit different this week because there were a few notable things that I thought happened this week. And generally, if we're not talking with one of the team broadcasters, generally we do a very broad look at the Brewers minor league system. Uh, for the first time ever, I wanted to really focus in on just a few stories and uh, very happy to uh, welcome in somebody who uh, watches the, the Brewers minor league system as close as anybody out there. You can read them over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Uh, it is uh, Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. I always have to slow down when I say that or I'm going to stumble all over myself. We welcome Brad onto the program. Brad, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking some time on on uh, Memorial Day weekend, and uh, just the the three things we're really going to hit on: uh, the promotions of Corbin uh, Burns, Trey Supak, and also uh, the signing of Ernesto Martinez, an international player by the Brewers this week. So those are all pretty big stories that deserve more than just a question or two. But before we even get into that, this is kind of the theme of the program today. So I'll get your take on it. If somebody would have told you before the season started that the Brewers were going to be in first place on Memorial Day, what would have your response been? I would have been slightly shocked, but probably not as shocked as most people out there. Um, back in spring training, I was saying I wouldn't be surprised if the team had some level of success. Now, I wasn't quite predicting this good of success. I was predicting like 78 to 80 win success. Um, but even I was talking with a few of the other bloggers out there um, about, uh, you know, the success, and some are riding the Brewers are going to get the wild card spot train, and I could definitely see them battling for the wild card spot battle throughout the year. But, yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting as high as first place, especially with some pretty good teams in the division and the reigning World Series champs in the division. So I'd be a little surprised, but again, I was expecting some level of success. Generally, when we talk about a lot of the prospects through the system, and with no do, with no disrespect meant to prospect number 20 and on, even though so often the prospects are ranked as top 30, whether it's a Baseball America or MLB Pipeline, we have a finite amount of time on the program, and we don't focus a lot on the lower-level guys. However... 
According to MLB Pipeline, prospect number 20, Corbin Burns, and prospect number 29, Trey Supek, have had as big of an impact and have put up, posted as eye-opening of numbers of anybody in the Brewers minor league system. Corbin Burns at uh, Carolina goes 5-0 and with a 1.05 ERA. He actually gave up a run in his last appearance, and it bumped his ERA up from 1 to 1.05. You have Trey Supak, who is pitching to a 1.76 ERA with the Timber Rattlers, and both those guys get called up. And while those guys are maybe not the, you know, the for sure high-level, big-league talent kind of guys that we talk about when we talk about a, a Lewis Brinson or, or a Josh Hader, they're doing some special things this year. So I'm bringing Brad on to really focus in on them. So uh, let's start with uh, Corbin Burns. Burns of Carolina, as mentioned, five and zero, one point oh five ERA. Uh, what what have you learned? Has your opinion on him changed at all through these uh, this first couple months as he put up these incredible eye opening numbers? Uh, yes, but I he's kind of like how the Brewers were for me, where I expected actually a, a little bit of success from Burns. Um, he came in as a fourth rounder last year in the twenty sixteen draft um, and didn't get a lot of time because he only gets the half season coming in after he signs his contract, but came up right away, had some quick success at rookie ball, then was brought right into uh, A ball and had some success there as well. Um, but he was kind of the ones on draft day who caught me um, as an interesting pick by, you know, this organization. He seemed like someone, he was the leading starter for his collegiate team. Uh, seemed to have someone or some was all around well rounded. Just didn't have the tools that would get him drafted higher. Like he doesn't have the high nineties fastball. He doesn't have that plus rated curveball. Um, even actually, if you look at the MLB pipeline grade, the grade has changed up pretty low, and it's looked really good so far this year. But he does have um, come with a record of good control and an ability to pound the strike zone. So especially the lower levels, these type of really well-rounded collegiate pictures tend to have a lot of success um, up until they get to double-A, triple-A, where they might see some more advanced batters rather than the young guys who are 19, 20 in A-ball and high-A. But again, I mean, he's had tremendous success. And one of the things you can look at to back that up is looking at uh, baseball perspectives, puts together some great, peripheral numbers on ERA to kind of tell whether the ERA is inflated or not. And one that actually Jonathan Judge helped create called ERA. And it's sitting right now just above his ERA, which is at 105, at 159. And then her ERA minus, which is ERA, value of ERA that's well-rounded and accommodates for where they're pitching in their park and tries to take everything into concern to rate their ERA. And the lower it is, the better. For 100 is average, and it's at 33.6. Hmm. So it's well, 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 well above average, showing he's pitching really well right now. Um, I mean, his control has been phenomenal. His, uh, you know, He's keeping his walks down around 2.4 uh, as far per nine, and then his K per nine is, about her, is just over eight. So he's been phenomenal, and he definitely deserves the call-up. And, I I mean, like I said, I was expecting him to do well and then get a little beat up when he moved to double-A. 
but I'm not even sure double A handers or hitters are going to be able to handle what he's throwing right now. Okay, so I'm glad you said that, and you kind of you you touched on the corner of this next question a couple times, but I want I want to hit it head on. I look, I spent two years in the Midwest League, and I saw a lot of guys who were college drafted guys who came in and just dominated that league because they were so much more mature than everybody that they were they were pitching against but then as they went up especially double a generally seemed to be the major stumbling point for them all of a sudden it didn't become a overmatched thing it became a talent thing so you, what you're basically telling me is you feel like uh, that's not going to happen, that this guy's talent is good enough that he's going to be able to continue to progress through the system. Right, absolutely. I mean, um, he is in a soft or he peaks out about 95, 96. Um, and he has two really good breaking balls in a slider and a curveball that is able to keep those more advanced hitters from really getting on top of what he's throwing. Uh, and then he mixed in his four pitches chained up, which I said is graded at about a 45, which is a little bit above average on the scouting grading scale. Um, but it's still good enough for when he throws it every now and then. It has some fade and sink that really keeps hitters off balance. And considering he can throw all four of those pitches for strikes and mixes them so well, he hitters off balance. It shows a really pitch ability that he's going to use to keep those advanced hitters as off balance as he did these more mature hitters that he's facing at A and A plus. He just has, has like when you watch him, he looks like a pitcher. Like the way he works his pitches, the way he works his count, he can locate his fastball where he wants. The way he controls the ball, he looks way too good against the competition he's facing, and I just can't imagine him being substantially worse against the boy. I expect you're going to see some bumps in his production. Uh, negatively, but it's still going to be something I believe fans are going to be really happy with. I mean, even when you're advanced, especially at high A, when you're dealing with somewhat more advanced hitters, it's still really hard to do the things he's been doing. And he's only, the highest amount of runs he's given up in a game is three. He has five scoreless games in his, her hour of his start so far. He just is looking really good. And I can't believe that anything's going to cool him off, especially a fairly favorable pitching environment like Biloxi is going to help him in his development. All right, let's jump over to uh, Trey Supak. Mentioned his numbers pitching to a 1.76 ERA uh, in uh, at, at Wisconsin before he gets the call up. Kind of the same thing with him. And people should realize, by the way, that he came over in the Keon Broxton deal. It was Jason Rogers to Pittsburgh, and uh, Keon Broxton comes over. And super, I mean, this this trade every single day looks so much better for the Brewers as opposed to uh, for the Pirates. But uh, what is what has impressed you beyond just the sheer numbers with Supak so far? Um, it's just he looks way older than he is. He's only twenty. And by way older, I'm not just talking about his age, but how he looks when he's pitching. He's, I mean, he looks like a pitcher physically. He's six foot five, two forty ish. But when he goes out there, he nothing shakes him. When he gives up a couple hits, he really just powers through what he's facing. Uh, like Corbin Burns, he mixes his pitches well, and he's really been able to keep hitters off balance. Um, he's been able. to put up some pretty good strikeout numbers so far, uh, 53 strikeouts through 41 innings pitched so far, um, and he's keeping the walks 
way down for a pitcher of his age. Uh, normally, someone with that type of strikeout stuff, you really see all over the zone. They're kind of excited. They want to get the strikeout, and he is not that way at all. He has a lot of confidence and a lot of confidence in putting his stuff in the strike zone, not trying to play too many games with the hitter's mind and really just goes at them. And when you look at scouts talk about his stuff, it's not exactly overwhelming. It's average and a little bit better, but it's nothing. Again, like Corbin Burns, he doesn't have a 70 fastball that has tremendous movement at 99 miles per hour. He has a pretty average set of pitches, and he sits in the low 90s, so he's not throwing the ball past anybody. He just pitches really mature for his age and his level, and it's something to get excited about as you know, another pitcher who makes this farm system deeper in pitching than I can remember going way back. Um, I, he's a strikeout pitcher who doesn't have strikeout stuff. That's always something to get excited about. Um, his curveball's really good, but just the way he uses it with his fastball to keep hitters off balance. And then every now and then, mixes like Corbin Burns, mixes in that changeup. It's not a great changeup, but when he mixes it in when he needs to, it really helps keep hitters off balance and from getting on top of fastball. He just he doesn't look like a 20-year-old throwing a day ball. He has a lot of maturity, and it, these are two of the pitchers. I, didn't, I expected success from Corbin Burns. I expected success from Trey Stupak. Burns was someone who I thought would be coming up probably a month later now. Stupak, I was not expecting to be so good that he's forcing him to go up now, to go up to A-plus in late May. It's really impressive what he's been able to do. What part of high A-ball do you think will most challenge Supak? Well, talking about what Kevin Burns is able to do as far as you know, using his maturity to take advantage of younger hitters, um, A-plus mixes in some of those older hitters, those college hitters, like the Corey Rays. They're really good bats who are just getting started and are there and can really feast on uh, those mistakes that the A-ball hitters are going to swing under and over. Um, luckily, he's playing in a league that's more pitcher-friendly, but, I mean, you're just facing hitters that aren't going to be fooled easily, and Stupak sometimes gets in a rhythm with his pitches and can kind of get a little predictable, in my opinion where you can see him setting up the strikeout and you know where he's going to uh, put the curve in. That's dangerous with hitters who really know how to prepare for that. Um, and college pitchers, know, college hitters know how to prepare for that. So you're facing a more mature, advanced level of hitting and just a better talent, plain and simple. Um, I mean, A-ball, too, stays a little bit of thin in the first half of the year because you're not moving that supreme talent up. It's a lot of players who are repeating a ball or moved up from rookie ball last year so they're making a lot of adjustments to the pro league in full year or just adjustments because their game isn't good enough to move up whereas a plus has a lot of those guys who tore apart a ball last year and already know how to feed an a ball pitching so trey supak he already shows that he's better than average a ball pitching but he needs to meet that challenge and now quickly learn how to be better than a plus ball pitching 
All right, before we let you go, the uh, one of the notes this week was the fact that uh, the team uses their international slot money to get uh, Ernesto Martinez, originally uh, from Cuba. He's been in the Dominican Republic. He's played for the Cuban national team uh, as far as youth baseball goes. Also, some stuff for uh, for Team France uh, because of his uh, because of his father. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and try to claim I know anything about this guy. I, I know what's been written down. I've seen his numbers. I've seen uh, some of the stuff he's done in terms of the 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 U15 World Championships and everything. But what's your takeaway about uh, about this Ernesto Martinez kid that the that the Brewers go out and get? Um, I was actually pretty surprised. I didn't when they traded for this year's slot. I had no idea that they were actually going to plan on using that money. Um, it just seemed a little bit weird to me, um, but I'm really happy they put it to good use. And Martinez, from initial reports, has the potential to be a low-cost superstar. He has all the makings of someone uh, of you know a high-profile player. He's big at six foot six. Um, he's a little bit older, so you could hope that he moves through Dominican Summer League and into rookie ball pretty quickly. Um, as you talked about, like when you go back and read about his numbers, he had some disappointing play once he started. So when he was in the U15 leagues a few years ago, he had amazing numbers, especially for power numbers for someone his age. But then once he started playing more his age in the U18 league, in only five games in Europe, he didn't do as well. But he is. I hope they develop him as an outfielder. He's an outfielder, first baseman, slash pitcher. Uh, as a pitcher, he has a 96-mile-per-hour fastball and has some interesting movement, but he doesn't have as a good a future there as he does potentially a hitter. He's a left-handed hitter who, when he's on, has a really plus bat and makes some good contact. Um, due to the size, there's definitely some power projectability. Um, as he fills out that frame and that muscle, you could see him being a guy who hits 20-plus homers. And right now he has some speed. I mean, young guys tend to have speed, so you might see that fade as he goes through and progresses through the system. But he's a pretty exciting guy and a pretty big splash of considering his talent and how long he's been eligible to sign. I'm kind of surprised another team didn't scoop him up. He didn't make a lot of the top prospect list that uh, scouts out the international prospects, but everyone who follows that um, that circuit really had good things to say about him and said it was a steal for this time of year and to get heading into an international free agency period where the Brewers are expected to sign four, three or four more top international free agents. So he's exciting. Like I said, he's probably going to be an outfielder if, uh, as long as his speed stays around as he continues to add muscle. He should be a pretty good corner outfielder with his pitching arm and something that can hit the mid-90s. He should be reasonable defensively as long as he learns how to take his routes successfully and is able to track things down. And even though he was her challenge at the U18 League, he still sounds like he has a pretty solid bat that can help him hit for average and, like I said, at some point power. Um, and then, I mean, he's also a guy with baseball heritage. His father played, as you mentioned, for the National French team and really had some success playing baseball over there. So it's always exciting when you have a guy with that, um, you know, lineage of athletes worked down and has the quote-unquote right DNA. 
Is there any chance that he plays in the United States this this summer, or is he going to be just for the Dominican Summer League team this year, do you think? Um, well, considering he's older than most Dominican signees, only a little bit at 17. Um, I don't know when his birthday is. He might be turning 18 here shortly. But um, I think he could advance up to rookie ball. You, I don't think you'll see him pass the Arizona League, but if he comes out, the Dominican Summer League gets started here shortly in a couple of weeks. Um, if he comes out and just hits the cover off the ball, I think they'll want to get their stateside eyes on them, working on his tools and refining them to make sure he has a good skill set. Uh, Dominican Summer League really ranges in talent, as do the Rookie League. The Dominican Summer League way more because you're getting players. You need to sign international free agents to just really build the roster. So a lot of teams have anything from elite players to players who are never, ever going to advance past Dominican Summer League and really might only have a year on there as long as the team needs to keep that roster space filled. So it's a situation where if he does well and they think it's more beneficial to develop him in the States, I definitely think he'll be in Arizona come late August, early, or, well, I shouldn't say that, early August, late August, maybe even get a few, just a couple of weeks in there before the season ends. He is Brad Ford. You can uh, read him over at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, also, follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, that's an opportunity for you to really get updates on, on everything going on throughout the entire minor league system on an as-they-happen basis more often than not uh, as he keeps tabs on uh, all the minor league games that are going on. Brad, it's great to uh, talk to you. Thanks for uh, taking some time, and we'll catch up with you again very soon. Anytime, Matt. Thanks for having me on. That was Brad Ford. A fun conversation with him as we uh, look back at the week in the Brewers minor league system and a couple big call-ups and an international signing. So certainly good to uh, to kind of go in-depth on that. Something a little bit different in terms of our uh, down-on-the-farm segment, but something that was fun to do. Alright, this is what the schedule uh, looks like for this week. Again, we uh, taped this on Sunday night. A uh, pretty good chance with Monday being the holiday and Monday being a day game. You're listening to us uh, after a game has already been played. But the Brewers begin a series against the Mets Monday afternoon. That is a 3-10 first pitch in terms of central time. Then they play uh, 6-10 games on Tuesday and Wednesday before they wrap up the series on Thursday with a noon game. That's it for the road trip. They then return home. They'll have a weekend series against the Dodgers and then they welcome in the Giants for a four-game series after that. And, of course, all the games can be heard on 620 WTMJ. Do want to say thank you to uh, my guest today. It was a uh, fun program. Kyle Loebner uh, joining us. We also had uh, Brad Ford, who was just on with us. And uh, thanks to you for sticking with us and listening throughout the course of the program. If you ever want to get in touch with us, you can always tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Always appreciate uh, any follows as well on that. Uh, you can also drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. Have a great week. We'll catch up with you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.